Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Bryn Harrington. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. If you are new with us, you could not have picked a better Sunday to come worship with us because Celebration Sunday isn't just our 11th birthday as a congregation. It isn't just our fall kickoff as a congregation. It's also the Sunday, this is the second time we've done it, when we remind ourselves of who God has called us to be together in community and what makes Anchor Bay Church, Anchor Bay Church. Last year, actually this Sunday, last year, isn't that crazy? We renamed our church after years of being called High Rock North Shore. And as part of that renaming process, we spent some time reimagining how our identity could be best expressed through, expressed through our vision and value statements. And so this morning is a chance for us to be reminded of what those are. So if you are new with us, we are so glad that you're here to learn kind of what our church is all about. And if you've been with us for a while or even just in the last year, you also could not have picked a better Sunday to join us because this morning you are gonna be reminded or reoriented towards why maybe you chose this community in the first place and hopefully you'll feel a fresh invitation into what God is calling you into in this next season in and through your uh, part of this community and our church. 
So before we dive in, uh, we're going to take just a quick look at our vision statement. It's pretty simple. We say that we want to see transformation through loving Jesus, serving neighbors, and celebrating life. So this morning, we're going to take a little bit of time to unpack that vision statement as we see it in scripture, and then we'll sing a few more songs, and then we're going to throw a party. Sound good? All right. Great. Uh, so we, before, we like to, or before we dive into God's word, we like to take a moment as a community and just pause and reflect and think about kind of what, what this last week was like for us, what we brought into the room this morning and our thoughts and our feelings and our hearts, and offer those things to the Holy Spirit to speak to us through God's word, whatever uh, we brought into the room this morning. And so I'd invite you to do that, just do a little bit of self-reflection and invitation to the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then I will open us up with a word of prayer after a moment. God, we offer this time and ourselves to you in worship. We thank you so much for who you are, for who you invite us to be, beloved, people called to be like little children. We pray that you would challenge and convict us and invite us into the joy of being part of your story in deeper and deeper ways this next year. We love you. We thank you for your word, which teaches us more and more about who you are and who we are in light of that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this spring and summer, our church gave me a big gift. I went on a three-month sabbatical. Uh, As part of my sabbatical, my husband and I were able to travel for a month in Europe. And lots of you have asked about our trip. I promised I would share a little bit about our trip this Sunday, so I will share some highlights. So we flew into Athens, and we rented a car, and we road-tripped up to Prague through the Balkan region and Eastern Europe. We visited eight countries that we had never been to before, and we had so many adventures. We stayed on an island in Greece. We slept in a farmhouse in Europe's Grand Canyon. We soaked in a thermal bath in Budapest. We swam in turquoise ocean caves that are so unbelievably beautiful that the locals tell you that mermaids live in them. I would believe it. We ate goat in the Albanian Alps. We had trout on a Macedonian lake. We had black truffles overlooking waterfalls in Croatia. We ate tres leches cake in a 1,500-year-old castle. And we saw all kinds of amazing things along the way. We climbed up the Parthenon. We saw the oldest working clock in the world. We visited the original Tesla coil. We sat on the actual Iron Throne. (laughs) That is the real Iron Throne. We had to find it on a little island off the coast of Dubrovnik. We only ended up in the back of one Albanian cop car, which is a story I will save for another sermon. We didn't do anything wrong, I promise, but it was a a good story. It was an incredible, incredible trip. But it wasn't always an easy trip. We didn't speak a single word of a single language of a single country that we visited. We we didn't always understand the culture, and sometimes we didn't even know how we were going to cross the border from one country into the next. So we just kind of had to figure things out along the way and follow the signs. That, you might not be able to see that. That just says, to Albania, this way. <laughs> it was awesome. But even with a few puzzles to solve, we had an incredible time. We saw natural beauty that we never imagined we would actually see, actually see with our actual eyes or that actually existed in the real world. And then after all of our huge adventures and cultural bushwhacking, we came home. 
We went back to sleeping in our own bed and eating our familiar food and speaking the language that we know. We took this life-changing, huge trip, and then we just resumed life as normal. But it's fine. We actually kind of planned it that way. When we bought our plane tickets, we never intended to like make a home in Montenegro. We intended to go see a bunch of amazing things and have some experiences and take some pictures, and then we intended to come back home, back to where we already started. Now, I, I want to say before we move on, we understand that this kind of trip is a huge privilege, and we are incredibly, incredibly grateful that we got to do it. We know that not everyone is able to do this kind of thing, and there's lots of reasons for that, and so we are incredibly grateful and don't take it for granted that we could in this season of life. But we also felt like it was a privilege because this kind of trip is relatively new in the history of humanity. Like before the invention of the air airplane, people didn't just go on world tours to see different countries of the world. In fact, tourism is a relatively new word in the history of the world. It didn't actually get started until the mid-19th century. Before that, there was only traveling. Traveling was different from tourism. Traveling required a lot of work, and a lot of preparation, and a lot of money, and a lot of time, and it was risky. You risked scurvy and never seeing your family again, or dying of dysentery. <laughs> Do we have any Oregon Trail generation people out here? Yep, yep. Traveling required you to learn new customs, and new cultures, and new languages, and to ask questions uh, among the people who weren't like you, and maybe even forsake some of your old ways of being. And when you came home, if you came home, you were different forever because you had traveled. Now, eventually, with the advent of ocean liners and railroads and airplanes and vacation packages, traveling became easier and more convenient and more affordable and more comfortable. You could buy an experience without the risk, without the discomfort or the cost, and without the character change that traveling used to require. And we started calling it tourism. Now, tourism is different from traveling. Traveling is active, but tourism is passive. A tourist expects adventure, experience, pleasure to happen to her. She samples food, she buys souvenirs, she checks out monuments, she, she might learn a few local words here and there, but mostly so she can get around, find the bathroom, fit in with the crowd. The tourist doesn't really belong here, but she never intended to. She's not intending to immerse herself in the culture or share her life with the locals or become one of them. No, when things get too crowded or too unpleasant or when touring requires work, she can always just go back to her Airbnb or back home, back to where things are safe and familiar and predictable. Now, I'm not hating on tourism. Obviously, it has its place. I obviously love to do it. It's a thriving industry for a good reason, but it's not the same as traveling. The word tourist means literally to travel for pleasure. It comes from the word tornas, which comes from an ancient, the name for an ancient Greek tool that just rotated things around in a circle. Tourism just means to go in circles. It isn't about journeying somewhere new on a pathway. It's about going in a circle back to where you already started. Tourists are just on an exotic detour back home. Well, tourism is a new word, but it's an old concept. There have always been tourists, as we will see in our passage this morning. So if you brought your Bibles, I would invite you to open up with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, to the passage that Shilpa read for us a few minutes ago. And this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, so I love unpacking this, this chapter with you. Mark, chapter 3. 
So to set the scene a little bit, our story opens with Jesus on his home turf on a lake in Galilee. He is in a place that he knows, he's with people that he knows, and he's trying to catch some R&R right in the middle of all the good ministry that he's been doing in the world. But the crowds, they just won't leave him alone. They just keep following around him. They're, they're clashing behind him like tin cans off a car bumper. And we don't know a lot about these crowds, but we do know one thing. We know that they came from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea and from the regions across Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. In other words, we know that these crowds came from everywhere. Everyone who could flock to Jesus flocked to Jesus. They came from Salem and Beverly and Marblehead and South Hamilton. These crowds, they're flocking from everywhere just to get a glimpse, a touch, maybe some healing, some experience of Jesus. They are tourists all around him. But then in the story, Jesus does something interesting. The gospel says this. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. He called to him those he wanted. So the tourists, the crowds are everywhere and they're flooding the streets. They're watching, they're waiting to see what he does next. And what he does next is he points to a few people in the crowd and he bids them to come. So he stands up where he can see them all and he's like, you and you and you and you and you and you come follow me. So what would you be thinking if you were the one, one of the ones that Jesus pointed to and called out of the crowd? Would you be nervous? Would you be like, Jesus, I just came to watch. I didn't really come to do anything. I don't know the answers. I'm just a nobody. Would you be excited like it's you finally on the jumbotron? Like, whoa, that famous rabbi's looking at me. Would you be confused? Like, who? Who's he? He's talking to me? Why? I think I would feel all of that if Jesus pointed at me in the middle of the crowd and told me to come. And here's another part I would have a hard time understanding. It says, Jesus called to him those he wanted. Jesus called those he wanted. The Bible doesn't say Jesus called those who were the most qualified or the most impressive or who had done all the right things with their life or who seemed like the healthiest or the holiest or the most articulate. Jesus doesn't call people the way most of us might call people. In the Gospel of Mark, it just says Jesus called those he wanted. People called for a specific purpose who would one day invite the rest of the crowds to be called out too. Who he called never had anything to do with who they were. Who he called had everything to do with who he was and what he intended to do in them. Follow me. This is the call out of the crowds, out of tourism, and into traveling. This is a call into something difficult, into labor, into struggle, into pressing on, and into all of the joy that comes with life and world transformation. This is the call to learn the language of Christ, to learn his culture. And the promise is that in the end, the ones who are called out will become totally different people. They'll be unrecognizable from who they were before. They'll be citizens of a new humanity. Before, they were just tourists. They were one of the crowd. They weren't interested in Jesus, maybe. They weren't curious, certainly. They were in needing of healing themselves, definitely. But now, now they are more than that. Now they are the disciples, called out, appointed, uniquely chosen for a distinct purpose. 
The gospel says he called them and appointed them, and then it says that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, I want to unpack that verse for a second because it has profound implications for the Christian life, and it's part of how we define our vision statement here at Anchor Bay. So it says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So in this verse, we see two calls of discipleship, twin calls that go hand in hand. The first is to be with Christ. And the second is to be sent out by Christ. You can't fully have one without the other. But we're going to start by taking a look at what each of those mean individually. So first, the disciples are invited to be with Jesus. This was an invitation into a very real and close-knit friendship. It's the kind of friendship where you can just hang out in frayed pajamas, or you can linger over meals or long campfires, or where they pop in unannounced and you don't care that you have dishes piled up in the sink and neither do they. This is a call into a close and intimate kind of friendship. But the the first call of discipleship being with Jesus, it wasn't just about friendship. Being with Jesus also meant becoming a disciple of Jesus. And and today we tend to think of discipleship as becoming a student. And that makes sense because the word disciple literally means a learner. But the disciples in Jesus' day were expected to be much more than students. When, When most rabbis back then would invite someone to be their disciples, the goal for the disciple was to become exactly like their rabbi. It was to live into his mission and his teaching and then to continue it on in the world for the rest of their lives. Some early Jewish sages said disciples were to cover themselves with the dust of their rabbi's feet. The idea was that they would be following so closely behind their rabbi that they would just get covered in the dust from the rabbi's shoes. And this is what Jesus is inviting the disciples into, to follow follow along behind him so closely that they will get covered in dust from his shoes, that they would be transformed by who he is, anchored in who he is, so that they could become just like him. This is an invitation to be rooted, grounded, centered in Christ, no matter what else might be shifting under your feet. And this part of Jesus' call to discipleship, be with Jesus, it's why as a church we prioritize things that allow us to grow in the faith, like life groups, or that allow us to ask questions of the faith, like soul training classes. It's why we gather together in community for Kids Rock, for Sunday worship services, for prayer gatherings, for the sacraments. It's why our teens get together for youth group every week, because we all need that kind of regular grounding, that consistent connection with Christ and with the church to be transformed into people who are just like Jesus. So that's the first invitation to discipleship, to be with Jesus. But there is a second invitation, and that's to be sent out by Jesus. To be sent out, not in our own power, but, but by his authority, to preach the good news and to cast out the demons of the world. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, to cast out demons literally meant to cast out demons. But it also had a broader meaning. Mark used that phrase anytime he wanted to describe any kind of healing, any participation in Christ's outward mission to restore the world. Casting out de- demons in this gospel means any activity where God's good news is proclaimed, where evil is defeated, and where light makes its way is to be brought into dark places. It means joining with Jesus in biblical justice work, in casting out the evils of of racism and sexism and ageism and classism, so that a new way of relating with people and the planet wins the day. That's this part of uh, Jesus' call to discipleship, to, to 
be sent out by Jesus. It's why, as a church, we take a break from our regular Sunday worship services once a quarter so that we can worship in a different way and to serve our neighbors through Serve Sundays. It's why Anchor Bay members have started justice and outreach ministries like Anchor Bay Health and Open Door Immigration Services and SPUR. It's why we host a food locker in our parking lot so that we can provide food to those who need it 24-7. It's why we have a foster closet upstairs in our church so that we can give clothes away to foster families. It's why we partner with nonprofits and ministries in the area that are doing incredible work to change people's lives. Ministries like Beverly Bootstraps, the Amira House, Cornerstone Creative. Because we want to be sent out to help Jesus on his mission to change and restore the world. Be with Jesus and be sent out by Jesus. This is what we believe it means to be a disciple. Christ tells us that loving God and serving our neighbors go hand in hand. It's all part of how we follow him. It's all part of how we walk with Christ. And this is why we've embedded these ideas into our vision statement as a church as well. It's connected to how we view discipleship. We want to be transformed through loving Jesus or being with Jesus and serving our neighbors or being sent out by Jesus. And that third part, celebrating life, it's almost like a reward at the end of the equation. When we love Jesus and serve our neighbors, then we get to celebrate life long into eternity. We actually embedded this idea visually into our logo at Anchor Bay as well. Anchor represents our, or sorry, into the name of our church. I'll get to our logo in a second. The name of our church, Anchor Bay Church, Anchor represents our grounding, our rootedness, our safety and security in Christ. And Bay represents that sending, this idea that that we are anchored and at the same time we are being sent out, we are connected to the whole ocean too. Something is keeping us centered and grounded while we participate in the outward movement of God. Our logo designer and one of our partners, Levi Nelson, who's back there, uh, designed our logo and he embedded a little ampersand, if you can see it there in the turquoise, into our logo as well, so that we could remember the two calls of discipleship to be with Jesus and to be sent out by Jesus. We believe that these two ideas go hand in hand. And yet, sometimes those in the Christian church we separate them. We, we lean towards one aspect of the call or the other. We've chosen to be with Jesus or to be sent out on mission. There are lots of people who like the story of Jesus. They like to see him and experience him and receive from him, but they don't really want to join his mission or be changed by it. Not really. They want to be tourists. They don't want to be travelers. I was talking with a pastor friend once who works at a different church in a different part of the country. He was part of this church as a plant years ago. And, and he said that as a church, they, they are growing and they're developing ministries and they're, they're getting involved in the greater community. But he started to notice something interesting over the years as he was working at this church. He said he would have people ask him for a meeting. He, they wanted to go out to coffee and they would say something like this. They would say, I really love this community and what you guys are doing. But you know, I... I really want to go to a church that's more diverse. Or I really want to go to a church that's more intergenerational. Or I really want to be part of a community with people who think more like me. Or I really want to be part of a community with people who think less like me. Or I really want to be part of a a community where people are in my life season. Or I want to be part of a community where people are outside of my life season. You name it. My pastor friend said, yes, you get it. We all want that. We're excited to build that into this church with you. And then the person says, yeah, so um, I'm actually going to go to another church that, that has that thing, 
that has that ministry, that diversity, that philosophy, that whatever it is I'm looking for. And my pastor friend says this to them. He says, look, I totally get it, but would you consider staying here and helping to build that into our church? Those things that you want to see happen in a church, they don't just become. They take time and intention. So if you want to see that value spread and grow and deepen in the world, would you consider staying and helping us to build that here so that we could get stronger in that area in this community? And these conversations between my, my pastor friend and his parishioners usually end in one of two ways. Sometimes people hear that as a calling and they choose to travel with the church. They choose to struggle and to sacrifice to see that vision or that value realized in that community and in that city. But in those conversations, sometimes people opt for tourism instead. And as I listen to this pastor share with me, I could relate because I have those conversations from time to time as well. I see lots of disciples who see our church and they see where our church has gaps and blind spots and they've chosen to travel here to build the church together that will one day worship with every tongue, tribe, and nation that will have strong ministries and deep investment in the broader community. It takes time and investment and people who are passionate about those things to see that happen. Here at Anchor Bay, we see a lot of that. We see a lot of traveling. But we also see a lot of tourists too. Lots of Christians all over the North Shore who move on from one church to another church to another church, hoping to find whatever it is they're looking for or whatever meets their needs. Now, I will be the first to say that there are a handful of good reasons to leave a church. And not everyone who moves on from our church or who joins our church from a different church is doing so because they're just on a big church world grand tour. In fact, sometimes people come and they share with me that they're maybe thinking about leaving our church and maybe they have some questions or they're thinking about leaving their church to join our church. Or they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, we're, we're in a season where we're not really able to join in right now, but we really want to. And it's for a completely valid and understandable reason and I can wholeheartedly support them in that. Or sometimes people share with me something that's really important to them to see happen in a church, but it's not something that we're planning to do at our church. Things like restricting women from certain leadership roles. That one's obviously very important to me. Or requiring that everyone share the same interpretation of a tricky biblical passage. And when we can talk about those differences or those different values out in the open, it gives us an opportunity to mutually bless each other, to mutually pray for one another as they move on to a different spot. I know that sometimes people are looking for something in a church that we just can't or won't meet. And I also think that's okay. But I also believe that there's a difference between that kind of thoughtful church engagement and touring faith communities in perpetuity, trying to find the one that perfectly looks like what I think a church should look like. That's not traveling, that's tourism. Church tourists like the idea of diversity or evangelism or biblical justice or strong ministries, but they want it done for them. They like the idea of growth, of spiritual formation, of transformation, but they want it done to them. Maybe it's ready-made when they walk in. Some of us, we like that first part of the call to be with Jesus better than the second part, to be sent out by Jesus, to be part of, of his mission, to building up the church and to building into the community for the kingdom of God. But others of us, we like that second part better. We are on a justice mission. We are fighting for a cause. But we don't really want to have to be with Jesus to do it. Like, sure, consciously we do. But being changed by Jesus is hard. 
And it takes something of us. It takes surrender. And we don't maybe really want to have to do that kind of internal work. So we think subconsciously sometimes that if we can just come up with the right answers, maybe the right fix the world equation, if we can point out how everyone else is doing stuff wrong, maybe we think if we have enough creativity or ingenuity, we can change the world in the name of Jesus without having to be changed by Jesus ourselves. And then we go out to change the world on our own. But here's the problem with that. Without Jesus defining a mission for a collective group of people, we're left defining our own individual, individual missions. We imagine that we can come up with something fair and just for the world, but everyone thinks that. And look at the world we've created. It is anything but fair and just. If we try to fix the world and our own resources, we get held back by our own biases and our own blind spots. And as a culture, we just end up going around in circles back to where we already started. Some of us, we like that second part of the call to be sent out by Jesus better than the first part, to be with Jesus. So when you think about your own life and your own tendencies, what about you? Which part of the call do you tend to gravitate towards, one or the other? Because we all tend towards one or the other, and that's okay. It's just knowing where we tend towards that helps us grow. Which one do you tend to choose when you have a choice? We all do it to some extent, but in scripture, these ideas were never meant to be separated. Jesus always intended to change us from the inside out and beyond that personal transformation to change the world and the community around us with our participation. And so with these invitations from Jesus to those in the crowd that he wanted, he called out his disciples, they joined him. And they start living out Jesus' teachings and they take seriously what he calls them to do And they go straight into the parts of their world and their cities that have broken families and broken bottles. And they work hard to right broken systems, to stand up for the marginalized and to set the captives free just as Jesus has done for them. And it's hard work. It means they have to be honest about their own struggles, their own shame. They have to look their own sin in the eye. It means they have to let those things be transformed by Jesus and to grow into Christ-like people themselves. And that's painful sometimes. It means sometimes they end up sweaty and bloody and dusty because they're on the ground fighting for a kingdom that they believe in with all of who they are. But it's worth it. Because gradually over time, as they just surround themselves with Christ and Christ's followers, they do become more hospitable and more curious and more humble. They become more authentic neighbors. They fight for justice in creative ways. And they experience joy in that journey They grow into travelers with Jesus instead of just being tourists watching him. And then one day, after a few years of following him, Jesus goes to the cross. And he goes to the cross for them. And he goes to the cross for us and for the whole world. And on the cross, he removes every barrier of sin and shame that we put up, everything that could keep us from being with him. And three days later, he rises again and he breathes new life, his life, his purpose into the disciples. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so those early disciples, they pass on the faith to the next generation and the next and the next and the next. And thousands of years later, it's our turn. We are the body of Christ, full of his Holy Spirit, scars to prove it and alive to tell the tale, to invite people into the joy of the resurrected life because we have traveled there ourselves. 
So much of the time, it's easier just to stay back in the crowds with the tourists. We like to sample Jesus, test him out, participate in his mission as long as we're enjoying it. But when things get hard or challenging, when Jesus invites me to follow him, to to give up my life, to carry my cross, to sacrifice for the hungry or the naked, when he pokes at my worldview or invites me to empathize or, or pushes me to love a neighbor that's hard to love, to give my money away, or to learn a new language and culture of love. When Jesus invites me to travel with him, well, at that point, I think I've had enough for the day, right? I'm just here to watch, not really participate. I think I'll just hide back in the crowds, back to what I know, back to where things are safe and predictable and familiar, back to my old habits and thought patterns, back to my old ways of relating to the world. Because I'm not planning to settle in here. And I never intended to. I'm just going around in a circle back to where I started. And friends, whatever ways you are still opting for tourism in your life, because to some extent, we all are in different places and areas of our life. This morning, I want, you to, I want to invite you to hear Jesus inviting you to, to follow him. Maybe for the first time, and maybe for the thousandth time. You, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. Jesus is calling us and inviting us and appointing us today to be with him, to be anchored in him, and then to preach the good news, to cast out the evils of the world, to be sent out by him. Will we? Will you? Will you travel with him? Traveling means joining those early disciples who are undignified and unqualified, who turn the world upside down. It means spending time with Christ, even when he challenges you, so that he can show you his heart and change yours in the process. Traveling means praying big prayers for the North Shore and for our country and for our world, expecting the kingdom to show up here and now, and then rolling up our sleeves to be part of the movement. It means choosing to give money and time away generously and sacrificially instead of just when you think you have extra or when you think you can afford it. It means opening our homes and our hearts and our life groups to the lonely in our community without hesitation and with total hospitality. Traveling means loving Jesus and serving neighbors. Because we believe that when we do that, the promise is that we will be celebrating life, his life, the resurrected life, long into eternity. So Anchor Bay Church, as we head into another ministry year, together let's pray, let's serve, And let's party. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you so much for this timeless invitation that you extended to those disciples and that you extend to us. What a privilege to join you in the work that you are doing. God, we pray that you would show us the areas of our hearts and our minds and our lives that are not aligning with that vision, where we tend to lean towards one or the other. We haven't yet surrendered our our lives, our hands, our finances, our thoughts over to you. And we pray that you would invite us, that we would lean in, and that out of that you would transform us and transform the world. We pray for this year as we enter into another ministry season, and we thank you for the opportunity to grow with you and to be sent out by you, and we pray that you would Help us to know exactly what that looks like for our lives as individuals and as a community and that you would guide us every step of the way. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.